Good morning, Reunion. Uh, really excited to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Kevin, um, and I'm really excited to, to bring God's word uh, to you today. Um, let me just first start off by saying that um, I love your pastor, um, Russell Raider. That's my guy. Um, I like to call him uh, my vanilla brother. Um, and so uh, you're, you're in good hands with him. Um, and I'm really uh, excited about the work that he's doing. Um, also love uh, his beautiful wife, Katie. Love you so much. And your beautiful daughter, um, Rose. That's my girl. Um, let's, let's get into uh, the word of the Lord for today. Uh, this is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, Psalm 139, penned by David. I'll be reading this from the New King James Version. I'll actually be starting at verse 11, and I'll read to verse 12. And it reads like this. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both the same to you. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Um, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Um, touch us, uh, guide us, lead us, move us, shake us, and bless us. And speak to us through your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength. You're my redeemer. And it's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Never shall I forget that night, the first night on camp, where my life turned into one long night. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget the darkness. These words were penned by Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, in his autobiographical novel titled Night. Wiesel, with his own eyes, witnessed an unspeakable amount of evil wished upon and unleashed upon the people of Israel. His eyes captured things he could not unsee. His ears heard the cries of those dying in gas chambers. His nostrils could smell the odor of burning flesh. His mouth so parched that he forgot what it felt like to salivate. His hands trembling as he held his dying father and his hands for the last time a couple of days before his camp was liberated. He titles his book Night because of the spiritual and moral darkness which he felt prevailed over him and his people in Auschwitz-Birkenau, the concentration camp where he lost his sister, his mother, and eventually his dear father. Unfortunately, Wiesel isn't the only one to experience the pain of darkness. We've all in some way, shape, or form had 
our own share of darkness or our own share of what night feels like. I mean, look around us. It's pretty dark in our world today. I mean, just when we thought we had it beat, uh, Gamma shows up, Delta. We even have a Lambda variant that's running around in the coronavirus. Just when we thought we had it done and beat, it sneaks back up upon us and rips through our country. We're witnessing surges by the day and hospitalizations are increasing. And for many, this is another reason for anxiety. CDC says mask. Some people, no mask. More tests. Boosters. Another shot. No shot. Darkness. On a more personal level, maybe, just maybe you can't seem to land that job you so desperately need. You've applied and applied and applied and applied and all your ears and eyes continue to see and hear is silence and rejection. Night. You might also be in a disorienting season of grief. Maybe this is the death of a dear loved one, a personal injury or illness, a pink slip from work, a divorce. Maybe your kids have left home and you are going through uh, empty nesting syndrome. Perhaps you've lost a relationship that was really significant for you. Maybe, just maybe you can't ascertain why it is that you feel the way you do. You just feel a weight, a burden, a heaviness, and you don't exactly know why or where it comes from, but you feel the darkness and it feels like night. All of us knows what this feels like. It, it almost feels like our internal GPS system keeps rerouting us to find different ways to get us to our destination, but it just keeps on rerouting and rerouting and going backwards and rerouting and going sideways and rerouting until we just, we just can't find our way anymore. If we can be honest, it's in these moments where we feel abandoned, neglected, and oftentimes forgotten, particularly forgotten by God. We might ask ourselves, is there anyone that understands? Family, it's in these moments that we find good company in the Psalms. While other scriptures speak to us, we find that the Psalms speak for us. Psalm 139, like I just told you, is one of my particular favorite Psalms. David, the writer of this song, knows what it's like to go through darkness. Many scholars debate when exactly Psalm 139 was written, but most lean toward the end of David's life. In this Psalm, David lifts up this truth from verses 11 through 12. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now, David is no stranger to darkness. This guy was a friend of what we would call the night. 
First and Second Samuel uh, in the Bible chronicle David's journey from obscurity to fame and exaltation as king. This was not, however, without hardship and pain. With every triumph that David experienced, there was also equal trauma and tragedy. In his youth, his father and brothers othered him. And this is to say that there were unconscious and conscious ways in which David was outcasted by his family. There was a prophet named Samuel who was instructed by God to anoint David or authorize him for God's work to one day lead the people of Israel. David was God's choice in a time where the people chose for themselves their own leader in the person of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. God had chosen David when others had threw him away. In some ways, though, this was almost like the best thing that could happen for David. But it was also at the same time, equally the worst thing that happened for David. David was anointed king, but Saul became jealous of David's success and favor, so much so that he put a hit out on his life. Darkness. Several years later, David commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, impregnates her, and arranges the death of her husband Uriah, one of his most loyal men. God forgives him, but the baby that was born from this encounter dies. Darkness. Some years later, David eventually has kids who are grown at this point, but he has some major challenges in addressing conflict and issues in the household. One of his sons, Ammon, commits sexual violence toward his sister, which causes the other brother, Absalom, to murder him in rage. This causes David much heartache. It does not get brighter from here. Due to David's neglect, Absalom believes his father to be unfit to lead Israel. And so what he does is he leads a rebellion in an attempt to steal the throne from his father. He succeeds in taking his throne and David and all of his boys are fleeing for their lives out from the kingdom. Long story short, David's throne is restored to him, but not without mourning. David and his men kill Absalom to get the throne back. This breaks David's heart. It grieves him. And because of this, he encounters darkness. David pens this psalm and he says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. This surely, 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 this surely that David speaks to is a surely of hopelessness. The darkness has utterly beaten him down so much so that he believes that there's no way out. He's basically saying to himself, I'm, I'm certainly done for now. I can't beat this. I can't get over this. There is no way out. I'm done for. Darkness in scripture is usually a metaphor for two things. One, sin. And two, trials. 
Throughout David's life, both his sin and the uneventful occurrences in life have rendered him hopeless. David feels as though there is no way out. His mistakes have finally caught up to him and there's no way he's getting out of this one. He's finished, he's done. The darkness is too formidable for him and the night has prevailed. And friends, you may be in a similar position. You may feel like your sin has you done. You may feel like the uneventful occurrences in life have eliminated you from God's grace. Well, that is bad news. But I'm a preacher and I came to preach to you today and I came to give you good news. And this is the gospel. This is the word of the Lord for you today. Though the darkness of our sin and circumstances seem to prevail over us, God specializes in using darkness to show his marvelous light. I'll say it one more time, just in case you were sleeping. Though the darkness of our sin and our circumstances seem to prevail, God specializes in using darkness to show his light. Here are two things I want to pull out of this text that I think will be helpful for both you and I. Number one, God is not only out there, but he is right here. God is not only out there, but he's right here. And two, darkness will not have the last word. So let's look at this first point. Here is God's grace. God is not only out there, but he's right here. Let's look at the text again. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. David declares that although the darkness seems to be prevailing in his life, that he recognizes that God sees him and that God is present with him in his darkness. A few of our favorite questions when we go through darkness is, God, do you see me? Are you here? Do you care about me? David reminds both you and I that God is omnipresent. Omnipresence is just a fancy word that means that there is not a place where God does not occupy. What does that mean? That includes your darkness. God occupies your darkness. A few first verses before our scripture today, David actually acknowledges this truth. He asks, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Even if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are also there. There is not a place in your life that God does not follow you and that God also does not occupy. If you were to make your setting or put yourself in a position that is beautiful and sweet, God is there. But also if you happen to get yourself in some mud, if you happen to get yourself in a sticky situation, God is also there. Yeah. Tony Evans, uh, a pastor, uh, a, a renowned pastor and preacher, he asserts this idea that God's omnipotence, him being all powerful, God's omniscience, him knowing everything, and God's omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere at the same time, work hand in hand. 
You can't separate them. God knows what needs to be done. God has the power to do what needs to be done. And in knowing these two, he is always where he needs to be to do what needs to be done. His name is Emmanuel for a reason. It means God with us. This is not some ethereal idea. This is not just a simple trite platitude that we put on our coffee cups. No, this is practical. This is gritty. He, he is God with us in our tears, but he is also God with us when we're eating our favorite snack. Yeah, he's, he's God with us when we are grieving, and he's also God with us when you're sweaty and you've just finished exercising. He is God with us in the high moments of life, but he is also present in the ordinary, everyday, mundane events in your life. He is there. Like most people, I have a love-hate relationship with working out. Fortunately enough for me, I have been gifted and graced with a low metabolism. So literally, you know what that means? I literally gained 20 pounds from eating a slice of bread. I'm not lying, right? Like if I literally put Wonder Bread in my mouth, I, like I just gained 20 pounds. Like that's just, that's, just, that's just the way things are, right? And so one day I decided to get a personal trainer and, and he, he, he had me on a pretty intense diet alongside crazy cardio and calisthenics. And after our workout, we would always end with some time in the sauna. I didn't see the importance of the sauna, but he taught me that the sauna actually improves your endurance and boosts your immune system. But there are some levels to the sauna, y'all. It's not just one temperature. Like, there are levels to the sauna. There's hot, there's mad hot, and then there's hell. There's, there's the preview of hell in the sauna, all right? My trainer, because he loves me so much, decided to always put the heat in the sauna on hell. And one day as I'm in the sauna with my trainer, I'm thinking about what everyone else will think of me knowing that I passed away in this sauna. Yeah, I can see it now. Man, he shouldn't have went in that sauna. <laughs> I start bugging out, my eyes are turning red. <laughs> I start breathing and huffing and puffing. I feel like I can't take it anymore. And my trainer is just sitting there, cool, calm, and collected. And I'm like, yo, we are in virtual hell right now. This is the preview of hell. I couldn't, be I couldn't believe it. Meanwhile, I'm standing there drinking my water, huffing and puffing, and guess what happens? This dude, this dude, this dude, outside the sauna, had the nerve, he had the audacity. No, he had the unmitigated gall to say this to me. Hey man, <laughs> I've never done this, but uh, I'm sure that what you're going through isn't that bad. Y'all know I was mad, right? Y'all know I was tight, I was tight. My trainer looked at me and he said, Kevin, you can do this. I've been through what you're going through, but not only that, I'm sitting here with you now. You can do this because I am here with you and I know that you can do this and I'll never let anything happen to you. I will not put you in jeopardy because 
Jesus is our Emmanuel, our God with us. We can go through our darkness. We can stand in the furnace knowing that he is standing there with us. We, we, he will use our darkness to build our endurance and boost our immune system. He will boost our spiritual health with a deeper knowledge of his presence and love for us. Hebrews 14, 4 and 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God is not only out there in some place where you cannot reach him, but God is right here. The second thing I'd like to leave with you today is that darkness will not have the last word. But the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. With God, there is no difference. There is no difference between the darkness and the light. He sees all because he is God. And as I was preparing for this message, it really had me rethinking some ideas that I held, but, but never questioned why I held them or why I even believed them. In scripture, David is often referred to as a man after God's own heart. Growing up in church, we would always hear that phrase, right? Like, what does that even mean, right? Like, that, that's the, like we would all say it, but I don't think we, we knew what it meant, right? And so, but, 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 but in hearing that phrase, we all aspired to that idea, to that goal, right? To be a man after God's own heart. To be a woman after God's own heart. Right. This conjures up a lot of images for you, perhaps, but it did. It did for us. Right. For us, this means to be a man after God's own heart, to be a woman after God's own heart. This looks like um, reading your Bible every day. This looks like um, an intense devotional life, like you're waking up at 4 a.m., in your nice comfy chair, you're praying your eyes out, you're crying, you're interceding, right? This looks a lot like you're fasting three times a week, right? This looks a lot like prayer should be four hours in the morning and four hours at night. Being a man or woman after God's own heart looked a lot like dotting your eyes and crossing every T that you had. But as I was doing some reflecting in regards to David's life, I don't, I don't see any of that. Although I believe that David was sincere, I do believe that he was full of faith. I do believe that he was bold. I do believe that he had good intentions most of the time. At the same time though, I do understand that David was deeply flawed and also personally challenged. His passion got the best of him at times. He also didn't deal with family conflict well and most definitely did not win father of the year. Well, what, was this the goal that we were all aspiring to, to be a man or woman after God's own heart? And as I was thinking about this idea of, of being this man, right? Being this man or woman after God's own heart, I thought to myself, maybe, maybe this phrase has less to do with David and us and our devotion towards God and more about God's devotion 
and God's love and faithfulness towards us. When the people of Israel chose within themselves a king to rule over them, they made that choice. God was already in the background preparing David to be the man after his own heart. And to say this, what I think the writer was trying to communicate here was that David was God's choice, that God went searching for a man and it was grace that found David. Grace found David flawed. Grace found David deeply challenged. Grace found David conflicted. But nevertheless, grace found him. What does this what does this mean for us, right? In our darkness, what does this mean? What, what are the implications of this? It was this confidence that held David together in his deepest, darkest moments of trouble. He knew that God was with him because he was God's choice and nothing can change God's choice about me. Nothing can change God's choice about you and nothing changed God's choice about David. David would make bold statements like this in scripture in Psalm 27 and 13. He said, I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. A great preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon said these words. The great thing about God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever caused him to be unfaithful towards us. Here are some encouraging words from, from Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2 and 13. He said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is committed to you. 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 He will not change his mind about you. He has made his choice and he's committed to you. Flawed and all, he's committed to you. Deeply challenged, but he's committed to you. Uh, stressed out, full of anxiety, but he's committed to you. You feel like you're always going the wrong way, but he's committed to you. You feel like you can't catch a break, but I'm here to tell you that God is committed to you. He will not give up on you because the day that God gives up on you is the day that God gives up on God. I'm landing the plane here, but one of my favorite movies is The Dark Knight Rises. The Batman movie where Bane is the villain. Batman and Bane finally meet face to face and to everyone's chagrin, Batman is losing. And I don't mean like just losing, like, He's losing bad, right? He's losing badly, right? Batman is losing his fight. So what does, what does Batman do, right? He's losing. He's trying to figure out what to do next. And, and what do you do? He gets the gadget out and he dims the lights and he makes it utterly dark in the cave. So everything is dark now. Batman has the advantage, right? But Bane looks around and he says, oh, you think darkness is your ally, but you were merely adopted by the dark. I was born in the dark. I was molded in it. 
Bane, he 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 was the villain in this movie, but he didn't know he was spitting he was spitting some spiritual truth for us. Right, Bane was was speaking to the redemptive aspect of darkness that Christ does in our lives. That in the dark, God actually does his best work in us, his deepest work in us, his truest work in us to mold us into the image of Jesus. Elie Wiesel actually lives on after the Holocaust. And he eventually relocates to the United States and some years after writing Night, he produces a sequel that's called Day. In this novel, he grapples yet pursues the answers to the question of can someone truly live in light after experiencing darkness? Like, can you experience light after experiencing pure evil? The book ends with a bit of a cliffhanger on this question, but the gospel gives the answer. The answer is yes. You can live on the other side of darkness and you can step into light because Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, looked evil in the face, drank the full cup of God's wrath, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised to a new life of light and love. He faced the ultimate darkness of sin and death so that he could rob darkness of its agency to keep us trapped in cycles. Darkness is as light to him. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Some scholars would say that we should read it in the inverse because then we'll really get the true effect of what the Lord is trying to tell us through this verse. We know that for those that God loves, he causes all things to work together for good. You are God's choice. Here are two questions. Number one, are there ways you currently feel crushed by darkness? The loss of a job, loved one, loss of health, feelings of anxiety and worry. How does the gospel address those feelings? Two, do you wrestle with the fear that God might crush or reject you because of your past or present sin? Where does that fear come from? How might that struggle look differently if you truly believe that God, seeing all of your sin, offers you forgiveness and delights in you because of Christ? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, continue to show us your light and use our darkness as an instrument for our sanctification and growth in you. And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.